The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everybody, this is The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And you are listening to season three, episode four, I believe. Episode four, wow. Four, yep. Um, if you guys were tuning in last time, it would have been our Arbor Day special. I hope you guys enjoyed that special holiday special. Um, but w- we thought it would be apropos to go from plant to a product of plant usually as which is would be textiles or cloth cloth mainly because it's a cool word (laughs) (laughs) i i i I, i'm not so certain about the uh the transition from trees uh, arbor day special to a cloth episode but we got to fit it in here somewhere. We, we we've been teasing about this episode probably since season 1 and maybe even just behind the scenes but we knew eventually since we brought it up it's going to happen and it's happening it's today. Can't this is it. what the fans want. And this is what we wanted <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, this idea was kind of kind of pitched as a joke just like we need topics. How about just cloth? And it it stuck. It um, did. It did stick a little too much. It was kind of clingy. Um, <laughs> but uh, speaking of what fans want and what fans get, don't don't be afraid to email us at baptistandbuddhist at gmail.com or you can like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can like us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter uh, or the good old ratings on uh on the podcast apps out there we just added a few more just recently that we're on now so there should be no excuse that you will be listening to our voices every waking moment of your life okay maybe that's a little bit that came off a little bit extreme but (laughs) while you're like driving your car or something or baking a pie or something yes i hear we are great pie baking voices or even like folding laundry you know laundry day pants you know laundry day comes quick and sometimes you just need something to get 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 by you need something to entertain your brain while you're folding the laundry yep yeah exactly so um we had a, a really great comment on our. La- if you listened to the last couple of episodes of this of this season, guys, you would be aware of our video out there on YouTube. It's called "Christian Destroys Buddhist in Embarrassingly Devastating Debate" or something like that. We call it Baptist versus Buddhist, and <clears throat> check it out. Uh, we got some great comments telling us to go to our room for 30 minutes and to work it out. Um, and <clears throat> while I appreciate the sentiment, I am in my room and we are working it out. No, they said they love the video and they love the discussions that we had. So thank you for that, for, uh, for bringing yes, that. Thank you. Um, and AI, if you guys want, if you leave a comment that we really like or that we really don't like, we'll read it anyways. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's always great to have, uh, the contact and the, um, communication from you fans to see what exactly is yeah, wrong we like with interaction, us. interaction. Yep. So this episode, we are going to be flying by the seat of our pants, so to speak. Yep. Yep. We're going to, I mean, even if we just get into, like, just touching the hem of the garment, we're going to be getting into some really interesting topics. Um, and, re, you know, with with the way we approach topics, you know, I'm coming from a biblical perspective. If you're not, if you're not familiar with this, I'm coming from a more Christian biblical perspective um brian's not necessarily coming from this like it's not really cut from the same cloth um he's coming from a buddhist perspective on 
whatever topic we talk about on these episodes. So, um, I, I, I worked that joke up for a while, for a while there. <laughs> you know, we really are cut from the same cloth because I was trying to make that, that same joke. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I guess we're all just like on the same thread. Yep. Okay, so speaking of threads, cloth. What is cloth? Brian? No. <laughs> if you are any in any sort of uh of modern uh civilization, you will probably recognize the concept of cloth, which is the woven fibers from plant and or petroleum products it, it, i make it seem like i'm reading from something but i'm not i'm just making that up as mainly used to protect our persons from the environment yeah yeah exactly or to style oneself for cultural <laughs> yeah. acceptance that is actually a really good point Ed. <laughs> we'll come up later yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah oh i i my notes don't even go that far yet, but so when when I first think about like cloth and the Bible, um, I think about like the Levitical law, and I think most people that think of like weird Jewish law will like sometimes come to this uh, in Leviticus nineteen nineteen. It talks about. Um, Mixed cloths. Yeah, right? it's it says neither shall a garment. M- mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. So like generally speaking, the Jewish laws, Hey, don't mix fibers of different cloths together. And, and the big question is why, why on earth? Um, a lot of people try to approach the Jewish law as like very, like there's a reason for like God told Israel to do it for a specific reason. Like don't eat, don't eat pork because pigs had a lot of diseases back then. Now it's kind of under control these days with, with health and stuff. But, uh, in Leviticus 20 verse seven, God tells them exactly why they are to follow these laws. And it's, it says, sanctify yourself therefore, and be ye holy for I am the Lord, your God. So the whole reason why, like why Israel was supposed to be following these laws was to be separate and unique from the rest of the world. Like, why are they doing so many different things? And Israel was to be basically a light on a hill for the rest of the world to see and come to God through Israel at that time. So they were to be, uh, uh, different and, uh, and they were to signify something different. And that's what God told them to be. Uh, they, there was, the reason is to be different, to stand out, to be separate. Um, so like, okay, you think of, I think of that. And then my mind goes to like, what other cloth is there leading up like through the Bible cloth? Like, you know, it's very inspirational. Um, but if you read uh, Exodus 28, it talks about the like priestly robes and priestly clothes of the temple, like uh, how they were to, uh, participate in the, uh, tabernacle and eventually the temp, the temple, um, uh, workings, just the, the, how they were to do everything. And, I mean, I could get into detail about their like breastplates and ephods and robes. And it even goes down to like having undergarments. Like a lot of people joke like, yeah, God, God invented underwear. Um, cause there's like holy garments that are underneath everything else. Like he was the first one to invent boxers or something like that. So there's a lot, a lot that goes into that, but, and it's, like there's so many interesting details in the priestly clothing and garments. There's different colors of gold and blue and purple and scarlet. There's different, um, there's different decorations of like pomegranates and, um, little dangly things on the bottom of their robes. And, uh, even going down to the stones on their breastplate, we'll, We'll talk about rocks later, um, but <laughs> in another material themed episode. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
rocks and then we can go into metals and air just kidding <laughs> um air would be kind of a good one though but <laughs> you know you're not wrong there's a reason we have so many episodes so uh, the <laughs> the uh, israel had a, a lot of specific detail on their their clothes especially the temple the the priestly clothes but I, I kind of fast forward in mind because there's so many other things about like robes and stuff. Like I don't want to get too much into just clothing. Um, I mean, there's like the robe of many colors and like uh, and there's uh, we, we could talk about how oh, we could talk about a lot of different ones. But <laughs> one that always stood out in my mind that uh, I've heard some really different explanations about was. In John, in John 19, there is a passage, very strange, like, for some reason, this just, like, kind of, as you're reading through, it's like, what? Like, why why does it say that? In John 19, 23, this is leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, um, and right before that, you know, he's going through a lot of torturous things, they... They put a sign up and everything, and then when he's when they took his garments away from him, uh, there it talks about a coat of Jesus, and this coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout, and so it's like a single piece of cloth that has like no seam which i mean back then the their clothing didn't really have seams like really it's kind of like like historically inaccurate to see seams on clothes in like bible movies and stuff because they didn't have sewing like that really back then it was all everything was knit or woven uh to the form but with Jesus's robe being without seam woven from the top throughout. It was just very like odd to see it like worded that way. You could say it, not all is as, as it seems. Exactly. <laughs> um, I've heard some really weird explanations about this. Um, going even back to the tabernacle being made of cloth, um, the, the walls were made of cloth. And when Moses, uh, got the image, the, the blueprints of the tabernacle from God, um, uh, he, he got a heavenly vision of the tabernacle. And then in the Bible later, it talks about how the heavens are a tabernacle. And so there's like this thought of like, this tabernacle is of, of the heavens of the universe somehow is represented within this tabernacle of cloth on the earth. But then there are other passages that talk about how the, since the, uh, uh, the heavens are like stretched out as a garment and I've heard it likened to, okay, Jesus is the head and the heavens are like to a garment to him like from the third heaven being the head and the, the garment is a, is a, like a, a robe for Jesus, the head of the church. And we're going to, you know, the, the heavens are going to be filled eventually. Um, and so like seeing this coat that was without seeing kind of represents the heavens as the heavenly tabernacle that Christ was to be the head of, um, cause you know, his head would be popping out the top or whatever. Um, I, that to me that it's really, really interesting seeing all those dots connected throughout scripture. Um, one thing was interesting in the following verse in verse 24 it talks about how they took that coat and they rent it. They, they tore it and then they cast lots and sold it to each other or whatever. And like they barter or they gambled for it basically <clears throat> that, um, and, and it says that they did this, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them, uh, for my vesture, did they cast lots these things? Therefore the soldiers did. So 
part of the reason they did that was because they were fulfilling what was prophesied before in the Old Testament about his raiment being rent. Um, uh, but some other people will might see that as like the perfection of Jesus or of God within that coat um, being broken for us, being rent for us. Um, so there's a lot of like interpretations of what in the world that coat actually was or what the meaning of why it was specifically worded like that. Um, so that, that always kind of interested me, like when, especially when it comes to cloth, um, it was, it's just kind of an interesting cloth tidbit, an interesting scrap. Um, I just Man. got that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then also when it comes to cloth uh, in the Bible, you see a lot of it during, like regarding Jesus, and you see it historically regarding Jesus as well, especially his crucifixion, um, his, uh, his burial cloth. And a lot of uh, I know there's like a lot of like Catholic relics that would claim that there's like a cloth that Mary mopped up his blood with, um, or, uh, the shroud of Turin being a That's, huge one. I was going to ask about that one. <clears throat> so before I get to the shroud of Turin, which, um, I'm not going to really go a whole lot on, but, um, I always, I've ever, especially around this time for Easter, I always see this post about uh, the napkin, um, so when Jesus resurrected, he left his grave clothes there, but the face covering, the face cloth, which some Bibles will translate into napkin, was folded neatly and put into place for some reason. Um, and the rest of the grave clothes were just like empty, um, which also just kind of a sidebar when Jesus was born in a manger they wrapped him in swaddling clothes some people say that actually translated from grave clothes like it was taken from like a scrap pile for dead people and they wrapped him in that and that was kind of like a prophetical thing I'm not too entirely sure how accurate that would be but I wanted to talk about an accuracy on some kind of uh it's not like a biblical teaching, but it's it's a post that I've seen about the the napkin that Jesus left folded there, and they claim that historically, uh, a Jewish master would have a servant, and he would when he when the master feasts, he would uh, fold his napkin on the table, and leave it there, and he would like you know go out to the bathroom or whatever or go partying or whatever, but the folded napkin told his servant that, hey keep this here. I'm coming back. And uh, some people are, some people are claiming like, Oh yeah, that, that napkin that he left in the tomb. It's like that. Like he's telling the servant that he's coming back. Like, that's mm. great. That's a great story and all, but like that wasn't a table napkin. That was a burial cloth. That wasn't a table. That wasn't a feast. That was his tomb. This isn't a dinner table. It's a tomb. Um, so like, uh, just because it was translated napkin doesn't mean that he wiped his face after he ate the lamb or whatever. So like, I don't know. It was, it's kind of a stretch to me and that, that cloth doesn't stretch that way. It doesn't have a four way stretch. Um, so <laughs> I mean, metaphorically I could see a lot of great symbolism in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't have like, I'm not going to say like, that's so stupid guys, but like, historically speaking like his face covering it's not it's not really supposed to be symbolizing a dinner napkin um but i mean i guess if you if you're gonna eat his flesh and drink his blood then maybe (laughs) (laughs) um not to be sacrilegious about taking communion or anything but um some interesting uh, some interesting verses about the Shroud of Turin, which is historically, I don't know where the name Turin comes from. I don't know a whole lot of the history behind it. I've I've watched documentaries and read about it before. I think Turin might be a place in Italy. Yeah, so they claim that they have the actual burial cloth of Jesus, and they've done like laser imaging of what his face would have looked like compared to the the markings on the cloth. Um so like Matthew twenty seven fifty nine says, and when Joseph had taken the body, Joseph was a rich man that had a uh, 
a tomb that he purchased and it says he wrapped it the body of Christ in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb which he had hewn out in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed John 20 verse 3 says Peter therefore went and that other disciples and came to the sepulchre so that uh, so they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. That's kind of like a people always say like John is poking fun at Peter. Like yeah, I I, I outran Peter. Yeah, um, and came first to the sepulcher. And he st- he stooped down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he and not. So Peter didn't go in, uh, or no John didn't go in. And then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeing or seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin, so the King James Version uses the word napkin. Uh, this was about his head, not not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that, the, that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Um, so these, these grave clothes, they believe like the especially like a more catholic tradition believes that these grave clothes the shroud of turin is what it is and um there's the imaging and there's some really interesting like things about the the imaging of the the especially the face covering they like they can image his face out of it um and it's like they say that these markings would have come from like like some kind of like energy uv particles or something like oh yeah when he when he was when his body was transformed it might have like emitted some kind of like rays and that's what imprinted these markings in the first place or something i i don't really know like that's how they explained it in the documentary that i saw once um uh, but yeah, they, they imaged, like they made a whole like CGI imagery from the, from the scan of the cloth and everything. Is it his grave clothes? I don't know. It It's kind of cool that they might think it is, but like, I don't tend to st- stick with the Catholic tradition of like the biblical history things. Um, a lot of it, sometimes a lot of it doesn't make sense. Um, like, uh, well, I'm not going to get into too much of what I've seen in Israel. Like, oh, look at this traditional spot. But then like the, my tour guide who is a missionary is like, but if you come around here, this is actually where like the sermon, the sermon on the Mount took place. Like there's like a tourist spot where you can go into this like church that was built. And it's like, oh, this is where Jesus stood and spoke to the the like the 5,000 or like the thousands of people there at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but like we went back on the, the backside of this hill and it was like a perfectly naturally carved out amphitheater almost. And it's like, Oh, this would have been a perfect place for it. Um, just like different things like that. Um, I know the Catholic church has a traditional site of where Jesus's tomb was, but there's also the garden tomb, which is a site that you can go visit, I've been in there and it, it's a tomb that was carved out of the side of the hill. And it was actually like, you know, less than a hundred meters away from Golgotha, the place of the skull Calvary, where they believe that this hill was Calvary where Jesus was crucified. And then like this, historically, this area where this tomb was, was a vineyard, which only rich men would have Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. So they're like, Oh yeah, he probably owned a vineyard and wanted his tomb there. It's all, it's all up for debate these days. So like, and my, my limited knowledge is of, uh, the, the tradition of relic, uh, keeping, uh, I know in the crusades, relic finding was a huge huge thing um but the the thing was they would you know multiple armies or whatever would claim to have such and such spear or uh they would even you know siege a a city because they had a dream that a relic was there and right um and you know 
from maybe a, a skeptic's point of view, it would be, you know, maybe a, there's a tooth of someone important in that in that village or a spearhead or something, and you would plunder it and inevitably find a tooth or a spearhead, and yeah. all of a sudden your siege is justified. Right. Yeah, and the, there's also, like, in Martin Luther's day, um, the different uh, penance that you had to do, you know, pay money. Sometimes you had to, like, pray to, like, the bones of Peter or something. But there were, like, multiple sets of bones of Peter, and Luther's like, I don't know about this. So that, like, just on top of everything else, he started the Reformation, and um, he didn't buy into that. Yeah. And, and, you know, based on Scripture, too, he's like, yeah, things aren't. I don't sit well with this. <laughs> Saint can only have so many teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and like some of these relics and like they keep behind locked doors or locked compartments in these uh, cathedrals and like no one can see them. No one can open this. It's like, is it really in there? Like, I would like to see it. <laughs> but it's a, it's a fascinating topic of discussion. Yeah, it is. Um, back to cloth, though. Um, another thing that comes to mind with cloth and we've already seen like linen and everything. Um, it's interesting in some descriptions of angels, they're actually wearing like specifically linen robes, like white linen robes, uh, or, or the saints too. Like in revelation 15, it talks about the angels. Um, and the seven angels came out of the temple having seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. So they had like pure white linen clothes. Um, so like it's kind of that uh, translation from the, from our three dimensional world into the spiritual world, you know, like they have what we have here just more in a more perfect sense. So like they would have linen, they would have plants too in heaven. So maybe they have like a, a field of linen somewhere in the heaven um, where, they harvest the linen. Um, on the opposite side of white linen robes, the the Bible talks about sackcloth a lot, and that's usually just like a really coarse cloth used typically for mourning, like for uh, for being saddened. Um, it's usually coupled with ash, like sackcloth and ash. Part of the mourning process is like you see that in Job. You see that with every like a lot of other people. Um, and then Revelation talks about in prophecy, the sun will be as black as sackcloth of hair. Like, it's just like kind of an interesting, um, an, an interesting little piece of cloth, that sackcloth. But I, I wanted to kind of turn the tables on the cloth and, uh, and see cloth from a another view a different view from the biblical aspects and there are two famous verses about some sort of cloth if you will <laughs> um and uh and it really kind of just boils down to one but i i always compare it to one another scripture as well but in isaiah 64 6 um, it talks about how it says we are all, all as unclean thing, um, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we and we all do fade as a leaf. Going back to the last episode about or that last episode about trees, um, and our iniquities, like the wind, air episode. No, I'm kidding. Um, have taken us away. Uh, <laughs> so it talks about how like man's righteousness is just filthy rags to the sight of in the sight of God. Um, and that kind of, uh, I always liken this to Philippians three, three, when Paul says, yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them, but dung that I may win Christ. Like he always like, kind of like in Isaiah where, like he's likening our righteousness, our like man's goodness to just filthy rags in the sight of God. Uh, Paul goes even a step further and likens all of his, uh, all of his uh, things 
as loss. Like all of his accomplishments, he considers loss and dung, um, which is Bible for poop. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he, poop episode. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to go that far, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> um, it's just, like, so like as a, as a, as a more spiritual kind of sense, um, the filthy rags is like the most that Isaiah could liken our righteousness to, um, because from the, uh, from the biblical perspective, anything we try to do in ourselves and anything that we think we can accomplish within ourselves, if it's outside of, if it's outside or away from God, then it's, it's not even worth it. Um, because like when it comes to our goodness and like, Hey, what can our goodness do for our eternal standing or our spiritual standing? Paul says like, yeah, it doesn't do anything because Christ already did everything to show a goodness of some sort or a, uh, or to, to show some kind of perfection somewhere only Christ could accomplish that. And like he did that through his life. He did that through his death and his resurrection. Um, he, he excelled above anything. And so like when, when Paul says that we count all things, but loss, he's, he's comparing it to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Um, and then, even Paul's loss that he did for, uh, he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung. Like even losing everything he had in his life was worth it. Like everything I lost was just dung because of what I win in Christ. Um, cause he was, he has the ultimate worth. Christ has the ultimate worth. So like that spiritual sense there with, um, again, with that filthy rags, like I always go back to that when I think of cloth, um, because hmm. we can't get white linen robes without Christ and we're just going to be wearing sackcloth and filthy rags otherwise. Wow. So I made that, I made cloth a sermon, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's wild, the similarities between traditions when it comes to cloth and <laughs> so when you first pitched this idea when this i don't even know whose idea it was in the first place my initial thought was cloth from a buddhist perspective we are getting desperate <laughs> <laughs> our I, our list of ideas grows threadbare but uh but no, actually, the more I thought about it, the more I realized there's actually a lot, a, a lot to be said on cloth. Um, and I, I have, I'm of two minds about cloth from a Buddhist perspective. One is the practical, literal approach to cloth. And two is probably more important, which is the cloth is a metaphor. Um, so I think I will touch on the practicality of cloth first. Um, as, as, as lay practitioners, there's not really much that we need to worry about cloth. <laughs> like it's not a big deal. Um, but what you, it's, it gets really fascinating when you look at the Vinaya, the, the monastic, laws of uh, pertaining to cloth and it was really really interesting to me that there was a point in your in your deep dive into cloth where people equated the swaddling cloth to the the grave cloth because in early buddhism when the Buddha first began to form the the Sangha of of monastics, even even before that, when he 
became enlightened and went around and he gathered cloth from charnel grounds. So grave, literal grave cloth, he sewed up to be a robe. And his first robe was this patchwork grave cloth robe. And for a while, very, very early on, the other monks that his other followers would wear the same thing. So they would wear cast off pieces of cloth that they would find mainly in the charnel grounds, uh, the graveyards. Hmm. And <clears throat> later on, as the the monastic community grew and there was more and more uh, interaction between the monastics and the lay people, uh, the lay people st- started wanting to give offerings of cloth for robes for the monks and at first uh that they they couldn't accept they couldn't accept anything any new cloth they couldn't accept good cloth um but as most of the monastic rules come about through this kind of evolution of this intentional community the rules did change and uh, when you look at the monastic rules there's all these stories of all all these rules being put in place as time goes on because i think the buddha it to me and like if i were to overlay it with my modern sensibilities it felt like it was an experimental intentional community that he was building around this idea of enlightenment and so the rules kind of changed and form took shape as time went on. And as time went on, the Buddha was like, okay, yeah, we can accept cloth offerings, but there were certain cloths that they would not allow, uh, generally like really expensive. What was considered like the fancy, expensive, luxurious cloth. So there's like a list of acceptable cloths. And one of which is linen, I believe silk was on the acceptable list as well, uh, which kind of surprised me. I, I think of silk as kind of luxurious, but um, so the so the robes that they would make out of these cloths would be one of a small number of items that a monk could could own could have, and. It's just a really fascinating area of study to see what the the specifications, the just absolute detail that goes into the monks' robes. Uh, monks have three separate robes. There's a lower robe, an upper robe, and an outer robe. And the way they're made is also like really fascinating because very early on, when they started accepting these cloth offerings, the Buddha did not allow any any robes to be made of cloth that was not cut because cutting it would absolutely destroy its value. And he didn't want them wearing anything of value. So that you had to cut your robes. Like you could like they would basically cut it and re-sew it up. But when you look at the sewing patterns of robes, it's it's in these like patterns where it's uh resembles and i think the technical term actually transliterates as like like farm fields or rice fields or something because they're kind of laid out in this patchwork pattern that is reminiscent of you know a a hillside farm farmlands like different patches different fields Hmm. and to this day you you see robes that are cut in squares and sewn together and uh, through pretty much I I want to say all of the monastic traditions hold to the same specifications like that um, what differs is the color um, and that that is usually what gives away what tradition they're coming from hmm. um, so like the kind of saffron orange color uh bordering on kind of like a light brown sometimes you see uh is mainly like Theravada traditions uh you you'll see black robes in zen 
you get the really distinct maroon and sometimes yellow and maroon in like Tibetan traditions. Um, but that's the thing that all monastics share are these robes. Um, there's a lot more rules that go into the monastic rules about cloth. Like what, uh, like I think, a, a like a sitting cloth, they can also have to like place down and sit upon, um, all the materials and how to exactly sew the robes are all very, very detailed. Um, and I know in like the Thai forest tradition and probably many other monastic traditions, the dyeing of the robes, uh, is a process. Um, in the Thai forest tradition, they use, I don't know if it's the root of jackfruit trees or the fruit, of jackfruit trees but they use that as the dye which gives it the 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 distinct color of the robes but the dyeing process is like a a 24-hour process wow and And you didn't think it tied back to trees (laughs) Uh, you know my mistake uh (laughs) but there's like some great stories out there of of these you know new like novice monks who they have to dye their own robes and it's a 24 hour process of constantly boiling the, 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 the dye and stirring the robes or whatever. I don't know the exact process, but it sounds like a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I think that's, the practical side of it. Um, a lot of, a lot of rules about cloth. Uh, you, in other traditions that I'm not like more familiar with, there are aspects of cloth that come into play. Um, in the Tibetan tradition, there's, uh, katas. They're called katas. And there's actually one behind me around this picture it's a kind of like a really light white scarf that usually when you uh when you meet a uh, uh, someone worth venerating whether it be a teacher or something you you take you you bring one you give it to them and they'll drape it on your shoulder as a, like a sign of respect or blessing um mm. so it's it's a very very popular uh practice in tibetan traditions and maybe more other other traditions i'm not i'm not entirely sure i don't know the history or the nuances of that practice of the of the kata but um yeah it's that is really all i know about cloth from a practical perspective but what might be more important is the 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 similes that cloth is used. Um, and actually before I go into that, there is one other thing about the practicality because there's all these rules, but, uh, the first thing that came to mind, one of the first things that came to mind when I was contemplating this idea of cloth was, uh, from, uh, I believe it. Yeah. It's the second sutta, the second discourse in the middle length discourses, uh, the Sabasava Sutta. Uh, it's called All the Taints. And this Sutta talks about these these taints or defilements of the mind. Um, and how he gives instructions on how to uh, abandon these asavas or these taints. And he gives many different uh, strategies like avoiding, removing... Um, and in this category called abandoning by using, uh, he gives four different kind of instructions that I guess have been adopted by monastics as a, as a means to contemplate their requisites or what they, what monks can own. And one of which is the robe. And so he says that, um, a bhikkhu or a monk Uh, reflecting wisely uses the robe only for protection from cold from heat from contact with 
gadflies, mosquitoes, wind, the sun, and creeping things, and only for the purpose of concealing the private parts. And basically, you don't wear clothes. You you won't wear the robe to be, oh, look at me, look who I am. You're Hmm. using it for these very practical purposes. And Hmm. contemplating that, it says reflecting wisely. You're reflecting on the use of of your coverings uh, in order to abandon these defilements of the mind. And I mean, the, he also uses this as uh, uses this kind of approach with your food, your shelter, etc., and even your medicines. So a little more practical, even a practical reflection to use uh, in your in your life, um, mainly as a monastic, but I think also people could use that in their day-to-day life to kind of overcome uh, vanity or conceit or something. Hmm. Uh, you know, fashion, you know, you put so much of your identity in how you look. Sometimes it might be a little healthy to remove that aspect. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, in in Christian circles, like, uh, especially in like where I came out of, because if you if you, listeners don't know, I I recently just made a church change, and some of our ideologies kind of changed with that, and I've always been against this one where it was always stigmatized that if you weren't wearing like a suit and a tie or your Sunday best that you. Ah, you're not doing enough. And I've always hated that. Um, and from where I came from, a lot of those circles had that kind of stigma. Um, and I mean, biblically speaking, cloth is like a covering of our naked, like our physical nakedness. Um, you see that in the Garden of Eden. You see that with God killing a animal to make skins. <clears throat> but... Uh, so in like Christianity, a lot of times we, there's like quote unquote dress codes, like, ah, you can't wear these, you can wear these. Um, and a lot of it, like, especially in like the, 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 uh, fundamental circles, they claim modesty, like, Hey, you got to dress modest. Their definition of modest is like, don't like show your physical features that may be attractive to the opposite sex or whatever. Um, but like a lot of, studies show biblically speaking modesty is like not showing off your wealth or flaunting what you have so like your tie and cufflinks might be kind of un- immodest um but uh so you know like now we're at a church that it, it seems almost like a requisite to have torn up jeans or something like a hipster <laughs> clothing now we i mean they they laugh at that like oh yeah like i'm like i might need some ripped jeans and they laugh like oh yeah you don't need you don't need to dress any certain way like i wore this to church i would have someone would have like flicked my hat off my head at my old church and say get that off your head um or like wow you don't even have collars on your shirts um so like the practicality of wearing clothes is kind of missed on like the more fundamental side where it's like, you need to look good or you're not doing your best for God. So it's all kind of stigmatized. It's almost like going past the point of practicality and going like just ending back where you were, what you were trying to avoid, you know, historically speaking too. um, a lot of the churches like started wearing like requiring suits. Some churches I know will have suits and dresses in a closet. Like, Hey, put this on before you come in. Cause you're not dressed well enough. Um, and historically speaking, some churches started doing that, like to keep poor people out of their sanctuary. So they don't mar their image. So like, Oh, you got to wear suits to church guys. Sorry. Like, okay. Only the rich guys that had suits had to come. So like, wow. that's another reason why I'm against that anyways. So, you know, uh, that reminds me of like why the Buddha in the first place puts such 
restrict restrictions on what monks could wear like why robes why cast off cloth to begin with and it's it was kind of a uh a pushback against the caste system um in hmm. you know ancient india and he wanted it to if someone were to enter into you know, as a Buddhist, as one of his followers, he wanted caste differentiation to disappear. You could be the untouchables. You could be a Brahmin. It doesn't matter. You, you, you're all the same under the Buddha's, you know, teachings. And, um, and he even the Buddha even goes, and this is kind of a little off topic. The Buddha even goes so far as to, constantly redefine what what to be a brahmin is you know brahmin was the top caste uh tier you know the 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 spiritual leaders and you had to be born into the caste the buddha constantly is redefining what is a brahmin oh a brahmin is someone who does this and does this not being born into a caste and so he's like defining what it means to be a holy person really and it's hmm. he was he was radical i think for his time but it sounds like it yeah and I, that's definitely not cloth related but <laughs> but uh no the buddha uses cloth as uh as similes as well and it kind of kind of mirrors the uh what you're talking about about sackcloth and like that kind of like good cloth versus bad cloth and uh it reminded me of another sutta very early on in the middle length discourses as well uh sutta number seven uh the vatupama sutta or the simile of the cloth so this <laughs> this immediately popped into mind when i thought about <laughs> what does cloth mean and this uh and this sutta he jumps right into unprompted into using cloth as a simile. Um, and he talks about, uh, about if a, if a piece of cloth was stained and the dyeing process of said cloth. And this all, this all, this actually kind of ties into the Sabasava Sutta that I mentioned earlier. Because he's talking about, he's not talking about asavas, but he's talking about what's called kalesas or uh, kind of defilements of the mind. Um, and he says, suppose a cloth were defiled and stained and a dyer dipped it in some dye or, or another, whether blue or yellow or red or carmine, it would look poorly dyed and impure in color. And so on the opposite side of that, a clean cloth dyed would come out looking pretty good. And he's using these, this, this stained and impured cloth to represent these calaces, these, these defilements of the mind that kind of, um, kind of destroy our ability to, to concentrate our mind, to have insight into the nature of reality. And he, luckily lists some of the imperfections or the defilements uh covetous covetousness unrighteous greed ill will anger resentment contempt insolence envy avarice deceit fraud obstinacy rivalry conceit arrogance vanity negligence i mean I, i'm pretty sure most people would agree like yeah those are not good things if you want yeah. especially if you want a peace of mind you know Right. Um, those things just kind of destroy that, that, you know, a, a placid mind of a, a calm mind, what would stain that clean cloth of a, ah, peaceful mind? Of course, greed, resentment, uh, arrogance, vanity, like those are just going to kind of destroy that ability to cultivate a peaceful mind. And the 
the sutta goes on to to describe what happens if you abandon those those imperfections uh and he talks about taking refuge in the dhamma the sangha the buddha but also and i love this talks about he kind of goes into a loving kindness almost a loving kindness practice a, a metta practice of imbuing your mind with loving kindness and that kind of helps overcome these imperfections and defilements of the mind and yeah i just think it's that the idea of a, of a clean cloth being like stained with all these imperfections of the mind and working and i think he even uses the like the similes of like using uh they used to use like this soap powder that they would wad up into a ball with some water and use that to clean uh and they would use it to clean cloth and you know use it in the bath in the bath and he even goes on later in the sutta to talk about bathing in the rivers and how no you know something about no river could actually purify you that's just water but it's your your own mind that can your own effort that can purify your mind hmm. so there's that play of good cloth bad cloth <laughs> hmm. it it reminded me of a of a um uh Isaiah talks about how um it says like come now Isaiah one eighteen, come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Uh though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Um and it like kinda like likens to me as a garment, like cloth, like the the red cloth versus the white cloth almost um and i always i he always heard this uh this uh example this uh, this real life example that was kind of like wow that's really oddly specific but like um it, it's uh supposed to be how god sees s sin paid through jesus christ and how um there was like this I think it was like a British guard or something like some like Royal guard. And they had like a, some red Cape on and, uh, this person got in a car, looked back and is like, Whoa, what in the world? His Cape looks white now. And what, what it was, was the glass of the car was slightly red tinted and it made the cloth, hmm. the white cloth look or the red cloth look white. So like, it's like God seeing, our red sin through the red blood of Christ. And it like shows us as pure white now because we're, we're, he doesn't see us. He sees us through Christ. So it's like, Oh wow. That, that, that red Cape looks white now. And it's like, it reminded me of Isaiah. That, that reminds me of a, a, a cloth related simile that you come across in, especially like Zen circles. Um, and I think it's just a really apropos uh, metaphor of uh, this concept of the Buddha nature of that. Everyone has this innate, uh, this innate uh, ability or this, this kind of core nature of, of being enlightened, of liberating from suffering of you know everyone's a buddha uh everyone's got this uh man there's this word this simple word that i'm looking for that i can't get this uh what is it when something can't potential there we go wow everyone has this potential to be awakened um and it's likened to a, a nice gold buddha statue in the corner covered in dirty rags just a pile of oily dirty rags and you may even forget that the statue is there 
but the value of that gold statue is never diminished by the oily rags. And all you have to do, you don't have to gain anything. You just have to pull all those oily rags away. Get rid of those dirty rags and you will finally realize the value that is there. Wow. Oily rags. And it's kind of used as this, this metaphor of how, you know, how to gain enlightenment, especially from a Zen tradition. There's nothing to gain, nothing to achieve. It's already here. You just have to realize it. And that's kind of pulling the oily rags away, letting go of the defilements, you know, hmm. to see what's already already there that's been there the whole time. Wow. So it's kind of that red, that red tinted. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cloth. <laughs> I know what an inspiring uh, topic cloth is. <laughs> I'm never going to see the fabric store diff- the same again. <laughs> fabric, fabric of reality. Uh, yeah. I could also talk about the sheet that Peter saw that had all the animals on it, but that's different. That's a different story for another time. I mean, it's not really cloth related besides some kind of sheet or something as they claim, as they call it. I mean, I think as a kid, my, our, our sheets had animals on it too. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. think that i mean for me that's all i have about cloth now you can only stretch it as far as it can you know yeah yeah i mean there's only so many yards in a in a roll of cloth that can be spun out um and then you have to leave out the rest of the non-yards and into the scrap pile and sell that for cheaper or let a monk come gather cast off cloth exactly (laughs) yep yep my wife she sews she's a sewist as they call it in those circles um so there's a lot of cloth behind this door like into this other room has lots of cloth and uh i always help out with like scrap projects and stuff because it's just cutting a lot of cloth cloth is just so weird if you really think about it, I think cloth is like one of probably the earliest like man-made, obviously man-made material. It's just like so much ingenuity that goes into cloth. Yeah, when I was in Israel, I saw um, like j- even just like the wool spinning at like the Nazareth village. But um, in oh, where was this? I don't remember where it was at. I think it was a uh, historical site where it's like the world's oldest archway, like arched doorways. Um, look it up because I don't even remember where it was. I think this was that place. And there was like some Roman stuff, but there was like a 2,000-year-old cloth that they found in a cave. And it was like what you would imagine, like kind of tannish white, cloth like robe with like a blue stripe through like a you know like a darker blue stripe like going down the side or something it was folded up um I think I have a picture of it somewhere um but it's like like it was preserved so well in a cave it's like oh yeah this is like biblical era cloth (laughs) like and it was like it looked perfect too like just a little dirty um Nowadays, fast fashion, you can't have cloth that lasts 2,000 years, much less two months. Yeah, I mean, I pull out an old shirt from my drawer, and there's holes in it already, so. Talk about holy cloth. Holy cloth, yep. (laughs) And moths don't eat cloth. Their larvae do, the caterpillars do, and there's only a very few, a select few cloth-eating larvae of moths that do so like don't don't hate on moths guys it's not they're not that bad this has been a public service announcement they they there's silk moths that spin silk and apparently they eat silk moth uh larva or maybe it's their pupa in some asian countries too so uh, it's a delicacy yeah 
So if you guys, learned. if you guys want to message us, what's your favorite cloth? No, <laughs> I love linen. Like linen is pretty awesome. Yeah, I used to rock linen pants all the time. Yeah, but we're not talking about rocks right now. We're talking about cloth. Um, um, yeah, please, guys, uh, if you have any questions about cloth in general, see your local textile expert. Um, if you have any questions about <laughs> the Baptist or Christian side or the Buddhist side, feel free to reach out to us, baptistandbuddhist at gmail.com. You can comment and do stuff on YouTube, like like and subscribe and hit that notification bell. Um, you can subscribe to all of our audio podcast places, leave reviews, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all the places reach us. You know, even if you just want to talk or ask a question off air, we won't put it on there if you don't want, um, and then otherwise, you know, just tune in for more coming up. Uh, there's going to be a lot more interesting episodes. If you like this, you will love our next episodes because it's probably going to be just as interesting. <laughs> or more, if that's or, even possible. Yeah, bro, yeah. I mean, if we can top this, it's kind of hard to because this is the apex of creativity right here. Like right on top, like cloth. Top cloth cloth topics like right on top of the mountain and like it's all downhill from here so sorry guys like everything uh, else after this just is an unraveling yeah yeah it just all unravels from here unfortunately i mean you can you can only absorb so much with the amount of cloth you're given the wheel weaves as the wheel wills yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, if it, anything else, Brian, before we get nope. out of here and change, I just want to, I just want to, uh, express my absolute affinity for cloth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing guys. It's a thing. It's a thing. Even your cat is admiring the cloth on you. I know. Like, he what is keeps, he's just like, wow, human ingenuity. Yeah, exactly. They can't even, animals can't wrap their minds around cloth. They're, they're stuck with just but growing all these loose, loose threads out of their body, you know? Yeah, like how did you weave your hair so perfectly? That's <laughs> not mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, guys, I'm sorry about all the cloth banter, but... We're cloth fanboys, so... Yeah, I hear all your hymns and haws. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about it, whether you like it or not, so... Oh, there's my other leather joke right there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's not cloth, guys. It's not cloth. That's not. That's not. Yeah, so anyways... Um, this has been The Baptist... And The Buddhist. With Mark... And Brian. And we will see you guys next episode. You will knock your socks off. Bye-bye. Never say leather. (laughs) (laughs) That's... Not even a cloth. That's not. Honest. That's really close to not being a cloth pun. <laughs> oh. It's a pseudo cloth pun. <laughs> or a pseudo cloth pun. Okay, okay, that's way too stretching. That's way too stretching. Man, what is that spandex? It's stretching. <laughs> 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 <laughs>